Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. Two nights in a row for the BCJ Podcast. We uh, heavy basketball show last night as we previewed the Cincinnati-Ohio State game tomorrow night in the official grand opening of the new Fifth Third Arena. Go back and uh, check for that if you haven't listened to it yet. Great stuff with myself and Justin Berg. Tonight, it's football time. And with football time means that Dave Simone is joining us and we have special guest Ryan Smith that covers the South Florida Bulls on here as well. And uh, before we get to that, first off, I want to remind you, head to 513shirts.com where you can get all of your official Bearcat Journal gear, hoodies, t-shirts, Red Helms t-shirts, hats. We got new hats with the Bearcat Journal logo. We got a red trucker hat. We got a uh, black new era stretch fit hat that just came in. And uh, some uh, some beanies, some red and black beanies with the Bearcat Journal logo. Also, while you're there, spend $55, you get free shipping. A lot of great stuff as you uh, browse around the site from 513 Shirts as well. Covering the Reds, the Bengals, <coughs> the Bearcats, and all of uh, the other goings-on in the city of Cincinnati. And uh, they're our official partners, so you go to 513shirts.com. You click on Partners in the drop-down, you'll see Bearcat Journal. That is where you can find all of the official Bearcat Journal gear. Support the site. Support 513shirts.com. Huge Cincinnati Bearcat fans that run the site, and uh, they are very appreciative of everything that uh, you do to help them out and to help us out here at bearcatjournal.com. Let's get right down to it. Dave Simone, how are you this lovely Tuesday evening the start of the college basketball season we're recording while the Champions Classic is going on in the background. Yes, well, you might be watching that. I'm watching Tennessee dismantle Lenore Ryan on the SEC network. So, But seems like it's the same thing going on at the Champions Classic with Kansas doing something similar to Michigan State. But I'm definitely interested in the second game. Uh, watch a little Zion Williamson dunk it. Yeah, you know, 285, do some windmills and whatnot. So, but yeah, b- big week. College basketball starts. College football is kind of entering that uh, that final push, and so we've got a lot going on uh, on Bearcat Journal. Saturday, big game for the Bearcats. They are at eight and one, looking to move to nine and one. Uh, they've got a home game against South Florida. It was a night game, as announced on Sunday, seven o'clock tip off. It looks like the kickoff of temperature should be around 29 degrees. Uh, we know when, when teams from Florida come up here, they really look forward to playing in the cold. Um, it should be a very brisk night at Nippert Stadium. And to talk about it, we have Ryan Smith from SB Nation, the Daily Stampede. Ryan, are you coming up? And if you do, I suggest buying a warm coat. You know, I was going to say I wish I was, but when you put it like that, when you tell me it's 29 degrees, all of a sudden I'm pretty happy I'm down here. (laughs) I've told a story. I can't remember what exact year it was, Ryan, but five or six years ago, South Florida came up here and it was a November game. And and for Cincinnati weather, it was actually very pleasant. It was like 52 degrees and, you know, a sunny day. It was, was, I think it was a 3.30 kickoff somewhere in there. And you looked at the South Florida bench and they had the giant, engine turbine heaters cranked up before kickoff they had the heated benches they had the bubble coats i was like guys we're in short sleeves up here this is it's not that cold up here 29 degrees for a team from south florida that is not going to be warm when they get to cincinnati on saturday yeah and they had a they had a history really especially under the uh jim levitt years of yesteryear of just whenever they would go up and play uh cincinnati or uconn in cold weather I mean, you could almost put the loss down before the game even kicked off. Nowadays, I think uh, a little bit less of a boogeyman for them, but definitely something uh, that they're going to have to deal with because that is not a condition they play in very often. Well, and this is, is something I've pointed out before, too. I, I don't know that it's that it's all the time playing in the cold. I think with a lot of those warm-weather teams, it's the first time playing in the cold um, that, that your body just kind of is like, I don't like this at all. And this is going to be their first time this year playing in anything under, what, 60 degrees? Yeah, that sounds about right. And it really, that's a great point also because I'm pretty sure that's how UConn managed to win any games over like the last decade. <laughs> it's just people going up to stores and being like, what the heck is this? 
Well, it doesn't have to be cold to be miserable in stores. You can just... That is a great point. You arrive and you're miserable. <laughs> get me out of here. Get me on the plane. Uh, Dave, I'm sure you got a lot of good stuff for Ryan. Uh, I know you two go way back, so I will turn this over and let you handle things. David Simone, please take it away. Yeah, Ryan has uh, helped us out for quite a few years with our season preview articles, so it's always nice to, to get him back uh, in this capacity on the podcast. So I'll just kind of first start out with the last two games as South Florida got off to a 7-0 and start, and we'll get into some of those interesting and odd uh, games that got them to that point. But the last two at Houston, home to Tulane, you know, a kind of a shootout with Houston, lost traction at the end of the game. Not sure what the heck happened at home against Tulane, giving up 98 points to us in those two. What's kind of been, has there been a big change or was this just kind of in the making and they were covering it up by by winning some of those earlier close games? I think you really nailed it with that second point. And now obviously that comes with the caveat that, you know, you lose to Tulane by 26 at home. You know, that's no matter how bad you've been playing, that's still pretty bad. So that was still a real uh, a real bad moment for this team as far as the season goes. But like I was saying, you really nailed it when we talk about this team's 7-0 record. I mean, it, it was not an impressive record. They beat Tulsa by one. They had to come back from two touchdown deficit in the fourth quarter to win that game. Uh, they beat UConn, who we know is one of really probably one of the worst, if not the worst, team in football this year. Uh, they only beat them by eight. Um, East Carolina, they only beat by seven and a late touchdown. So, I mean, you look at those results in a vacuum and you kind of detach the name from the results and you think, okay, that team is maybe a you know top 90, top 100 team in football you don't think, oh, that's a team that's 7-0 and ranked in the top 25. Um, are they quite that bad? Uh, I don't think so. But um, the the true uh, measure of this team is probably somewhere in between a team that loses to Tulane by 26 points and is playing UConn to within a possession and a team that had a couple good games, or I should really just say one good game this year, and... Um, beat a average Georgia Tech team uh, at home. And really, but, you know, to get to your question, the problems that have been springing up over these last two weeks were really just problems that, you know, I think any fan who was reasonably tuned in or wanted to, you know, open their eyes to what was going on over the first half of the season, stuff they really could have picked out and, uh, there's nothing. There was nothing that happened in those games that USF had not already been doing. They have a young team. In fairness, you know they lost a lot of talent off last year's team, and it, they're undermanned. A lot of injuries, undersized on defense. Um, they've been leaky on defense through a lot of the season. Um, offense has been inconsistent. Uh, questionable play calling. Sloppy. Undisciplined. A lot of penalties, a lot of dumb turnovers, a lot of dumb special teams errors. It's really been the same old song throughout this season and throughout a lot of the Charlie Strong era even. And it feels like it just kind of came to a head, maybe not so much against Houston, because that was a game that you know they, they acquitted themselves fairly well in. It was a game they were probably always going to be the underdog in. But especially against Tulane, it was just really a you know culmination of all of these troubling things that we've seen uh, over the last couple of years, and especially during this season, all come to a head and all kind of explode in their face, really. And um, a lot of people would say, you know, oh, you're 7-0. Um, you know, how can you really complain when you're 7-0? And it, it's all well and good. I mean, if you if you get the results, you get the results. But generally, results tend to be predictive. And if you're not playing well in those games, and if you're 7-0, but you're beating the teams that are, you know, the 120th and 130th best teams in the nation by a uh, score at, at most, then 
you know, generally that's a pretty good indication that you're not a great team. So I'm not trying to write off the significance of having a good record, but um, even seven and two is probably a misleading number for how poorly USF has played this year. Digging a little bit deeper into the offense, they have, when you look at the raw numbers, I mean, 11th in total offense, they're in the top 25, top 30 in both, roughly in both passing and rushing. But then you look at, you offset that with, I looked at the defenses that they've played, not counting Elon, the average total defense of their opponents is 98.5. So, you know, you, where do you think the Bulls have been good, and regardless of the defenses they've played, and where do you think they've probably gotten away with some stuff offensively based on the defenses they've played? I think that USF has a handful of offensive players that when they get the ball and they get some space, there aren't that many... Uh, Cincinnati's probably a team that can really match them player for player, but, you know, the likes of ECU, UConn, um, you know, Illinois this year even. Um, they have some players who are just very, very talented with the ball in their hands. Jordan Cronkite at running back the Florida transfer, he's been really stellar. Um, Johnny Ford is a freshman who... Um, He's uh, kind of a scat back who's been a very pleasant surprise this year. And then you have players like receiver Tyree McCants, um, who he's a senior now, and he's um, you know 240-pound slot receiver, and he's just a physical... Uh, <laughs> there's no one quite like him out there. Uh, there are really some guys on this team who, when they are clicking they are really really tough to stop but the flip side of that is um they have not really had a scheme that consistently plays to their strengths i actually think that sterling gilbert um we've definitely discussed uh how poorly he handled the talent around him last year and quentin flowers i think he's done a um better job this year i really do um that doesn't mean that much given uh, the standard that we were uh, coming from last year. So I think that while he's done a better job scheming to his talent, it, it is still a lot of sloppiness, a lot of uncreative play calling, a lot of disciplinary um, you know, penalties, issues like that on this team just a tendency to shoot themselves in the foot. Um, the offensive line, I, I haven't even gotten to. I would say that's really one area where this team, this offense is noticeably worse. The pass protection has been awful, and uh, it has not allowed Blake Barnett to really get comfortable, um, especially over these last few games. He has looked really, really uncomfortable. He's uh, got off to a good start to the season, and really been struggling lately, has not looked like the same player he was at the beginning of the season. And how much of that is due to the offensive line and how much of that is due to, um, you know, his own performance is kind of up in the air at this point. But it really should be said that, um, you know, if he has time, he's got a great arm. He can make the throws he needs to make. He's already led a bunch of impressive uh if you ignore the competition, fourth quarter comebacks this season. Uh, they have two or three receivers, uh, a tight end who are all um, all conference quality, a couple great running backs. But first off, uh, you know, it all if you don't put them in a position to succeed, they won't succeed. And uh, second off, um, when you tie that together with an offensive line that's really been struggling and a quarterback who really needs time or has in the limited time he's played um, at the college level, he's shown that. If he doesn't have time, he is really going to struggle. Uh, when you tie those all together, it just it has been very, very hit or miss. Um, when they're on, they look good, but they they really haven't been consistently clicking for a few weeks now. So it's it's an offense that uh, at any given point you could imagine could put up points, but given their history over the last few weeks, you uh, you know. 
it doesn't seem like they're going to turn on the switch anytime soon, at least not for an extended period of time. It seemed like last week there were a lot of guys offensively and maybe defensively as well that missed the Tulane game, whether it was from injury or um, suspension or whatever Coach Strong was calling it. Uh, one in particular that I feel like is kind of maybe the key cog in, in how that offense works is tight end Mitchell Wilcox. Do you, are, you, are you aware of any of those status, their statuses for this week? And, and do you agree in that, that the tight end position with him specifically has kind of been a big key to in the early part of the season helping Barnett get on track? I think that's a fantastic observation, actually. I think Wilcox has really been Barnett's safety valve. And he is Barnett and really Sterling Gilbert's offense this year has really tried to establish the intermediate passing game. I mean, they consistently will have guys uh, going out for 10, even five-yard curls, little timing routes to get Barnett the ball out of his hands quickly and to get him comfortable. And Wilcox has really, really had a stellar year so far, uh, especially serving as Barnett's you know, go-to guy on third down, um, providing a you know, reliable option uh, on those in that intermediate passing game. And the uh, all indications say that Wilcox uh, should be good to go for this upcoming week. I know that he was questionable for the two-lane game, and it was kind of a last-second decision. They held him out. Um, but if, if it turns out that he can't go, that is a large loss for the USF offense, and perhaps really short of uh, McCants, perhaps the most important cog on that team. And, um, and, and as you're saying, I mean, it, it really, you do have to give the offense a little bit of slack because they are really, uh, they've been hit really hard by injuries this season. Um, the top three receivers, McCants, uh, Randall St. Felix and Darnell Solomon have all missed time for, uh, different periods of time. Uh, Wilcox, as we said, has been banged up, um, Jordan Cronkright, uh, was injured early in the season. The, uh, USF's down two or three running backs in their backfield who um, have been were supposed to be part of the mix this year, but haven't been able to uh, play much. And so when you put that all together, you know you can't fault the uh, quality of the players so much. You know, a lot of guys um, getting playing time perhaps before we thought they were going to get playing time, or um, guys lower on the depth chart getting more playing time than we thought they would, but. It's it, there's still enough there that this coaching staff should be able to put together a more consistent product, and and they haven't to this point. Switching over to defense, I know you mentioned earlier defensive line being on the smaller side, and I mean it's no secret. I mean I, I don't think anyone's surprised when they play UC that their offensive line is big, their running backs are big, and they want to run the ball. Uh, Tulane had an incredible amount of success running the ball last week. So I don't think that's going to change outside of the overall size of the defensive line, just the defense as a whole stopping the run. What have been the main issues, you know, through you know two and a half months of the season? I think the first really big thing that we look at there is probably uh, that there are, Linebacker core has just been absolutely decimated. It was already really, really thin when the season began. Uh, they returned one starter and were um, uh, bringing in a converted safety in Khalid McGee to play the weak side linebacker position. And he's he's been quite good. But um, the middle linebacker, Nico Sautel, is hurt. And I don't think they expect him back anytime soon. Um McGee, the leading tackler, was uh, by and large suspended for last week's game. Um, he should be back, but nonetheless, they were certainly missing him. Um, they're, they play a 4-2-5, so their two linebackers that they were playing for most of last game were uh, defensive end Greg Reeves and true freshman Dwayne Boyles. And um, when they needed to play a third linebacker, they had a uh, walk-on as a third linebacker, Andrew Mims. Um, they had 
Josh Black and Vincent Jackson, both defensive ends playing linebacker. And, you know, th- this works both ways. You know, you say, okay, you know, that's tough luck. Normally you don't have that much uh, turnover, that much um, bad luck at a position. And that's all well and good, but you shouldn't have one reliable linebacker returning from last year's team. I mean, that really kind of shows a gap in the recruiting process or a um, failure to develop players. So, I mean, they're they're thin there, but you're also digging your own grave to an extent. So, I mean, those guys, uh, and they have just gotten roasted over the last couple weeks on misdirection, zone reads. Mobile quarterbacks have, you know, De'Eric King and McMillan for Tulane. They've just eaten them alive these past two weeks. I mean, they, you can very much tell they do not have natural linebackers playing the linebacker position right now. And while McGee's return, I'm sure, will offset some of those issues, it's tough to have enough confidence in this team, especially, uh, you know, the defense, given how young they are and how leaky they've been. It, it, it's tough to see them having much success against a power running team like Cincinnati. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean I don't think the defense can play better than they have the last couple of weeks, but I mean, it, they just, the interior of the line, they lost uh, two guys who are on NFL rosters now. And, you know, you can tell, and they just, they got off to a decent start to the year and the fall of the defense was probably the only thing you can really pick out and say that that wasn't, really a foreseeable thing that it's been a lot worse than you would have expected even given the level of injuries across the board but like I said it works both ways Um, they are vastly underachieving on that side of the ball but at the same time um, the guys they're starting especially a linebacker are I mean guys you did not expect to get any sort of significant snaps this season? They've been, I guess, pretty good. I think 38th or right around there in past defense efficiency. Have they been, are they doing a good job getting to the opposing quarterback or the, has the secondary been, been better than maybe you expected or, or, you know, on par with what you expected? What kind of, you know, past defense could we see on Saturday night? The secondary is another place where they are, very young, perhaps by design. And um, it's been, it's been really hit or miss there. You have a couple of veterans who are, um, have been impressive. Uh, Mazzy Wilkins is um, a talented cover corner for them. Um, Mike Hampton on the other side is, uh, he's a physical corner, really good ball skills has gotten himself into trouble a couple times with uh, pass interference flags, but, um, you know, they, they have a couple guys, you know, a couple cover corners who can play well. Ronnie Hoggins is a senior who has really taken a step back this year as far as his performance goes. Um, so it's been hit or miss there, but also some of the young guys that they have stepping in who, you know, by all stakes and purposes, you know, they staff really believes in and believes them to have bright futures. But guys like um, Nick Roberts and Vincent Davis uh, filling in at safety and corner in the secondary, I mean, they have really, really struggled in these last couple of weeks, not only in uh, pass coverage, but also run support, taking the wrong angles, filling the wrong gaps. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the two-lane film, it looks, it looks really ugly and how out of position and unprepared some of these younger guys looked. And so it, it's, it's certainly, you've got a lot of raw talent in that secondary. It does not... Um, it's not been all together yet. And I think the pass rush by and large has been a plus for USF. Um, they have a couple guys, a couple defensive ends who have been uh, good to adequate at uh, rushing the passer, Kirk Livingstone, um, Josh Black. But at the same time, there there are just too many holes in that defense that I can see right now. There's certainly talent, but especially with all the injuries, it feels like a little bit of a whack-a-mole right now. You know, you, you can plug up the holes in the linebacker core, but you've still got a lot of youth and inexperience in the secondary. You know, you can have the secondary play well, but you've still got a gap in the middle of that defensive line where you don't have a lot of experience and you're missing a lot of talent. So... It really is, um, it's a bit of a surprise how quickly this defense has fallen apart, especially because 
Charlie Strong and uh, coordinator Brian Jean-Marie really pride themselves on putting together uh, defenses, and he has a great track record of that, obviously. But uh, this season, um, and injuries certainly have something to do with that, but this season, things have really fallen apart for them, and it's at all three levels, and that's the most concerning thing. All right, let's get into the good stuff, because after the Tulane game, I'm reading how Charlie Strong is saying we don't have any leaders, and I'm like, well, you're nine games in. That probably should have been something you figured out a little while ago. And then players are talking about how we just kind of go through the motions in practice. So, like, what is the vibe down there right now? Because 7-0 and can cover up some things on the outside, but the way they've played the last two, now it seems to be for public consumption. So what, I mean, what is the overall feeling of him, his Charlie's future, where this team is going to go in these last three games where they play probably, you know, outside of Houston by far their three hardest games of the year. You know, I should preface this by saying that as grim as I have made this team out to be right now, you know, they, I will give them a uh, fair share of credit in the fact that it's, it's not nothing to be in a situation where you're more talented than a large chunk of your conference. It's not nothing to beat a team like Georgia tech who not a great year, but a talented team. Um, And so they have done some things right. And so I'm going to start with that. And, you know, that 7-0 was a total fluke. That 7-0 had, you know, very little uh, actual substance to it. But I will give them, at the very least, you know, they were good enough to get to 7-0 against those teams. You know, that's not much. I'll give them that. Beyond that, I mean, it is, it, it really looks ugly. Um, you know, there have been a lot of instances, I mean, a lot might be overstating it, but more than you'd like of, you know, players and coaches saying things not sounding like they're on the same page. I mean, Charlie Strong, I think he's had a, a few instances now at press conferences. Um, you know, again, he had a bad game against, I'm sorry, they had a bad game uh, against, uh, I believe it was ECU when they broke out the um, black, the alternate black uniforms. And he goes and says, you know, we were uh, distracted because we cared too much about how we looked. And I mean, that's, you know, that that's all well and good. I mean, it's not all well and good, but, you know, you can make excuses if you have one bad game. You can't make excuses if you've had five bad games on the season. It's probably not them caring about how they look. Um, then, you know, over the last couple of games, said we don't have leaders. You know, uh, we've got to execute better. Every single game, we've got to execute better. We've got to execute better. And again, you know, in a, in a vacuum, saying we've got to execute better is fine because, you know, they do have to execute better. I mean, in, against Tulane, for instance, if you were just watching that game, you'd say, okay, they turned the ball over like three times. There were a bunch of silly turnovers. Um, you know, they muffed a punt. They, you know, they had a 40, 50-yard pass downfield. And um, as a guy tried to spin around the defender to get into the end zone, the guy's helmet knocks the ball out and pops out 10 feet into the air, Tulane recovers. You know, silly things like that. You could look at that game and say, okay, you know, they have a good week of practice. They, you know like drill few things in they'll be right back at it that was a fluky loss you can say that once but when those sorts of mental mistakes and those sorts of you know really fixable issues have been popping up not only throughout this season but also really throughout the last as well it's tough to take a coaching staff seriously when they say oh all we've got to do is execute better it just seems that there is some deeper issue there that is not or cannot be addressed by the staff. And when you add that to the fact that you've got guys like uh, Stanley Clairvaux, um, the receiver who talked last game and said, yeah, we're going through the motions at practice. When you've got guys who have in the past openly criticized the play calling of Sterling Gilbert, um, you know, not during the, actual season but you know guys who they would go to the draft and they would say yeah you know i think i could have had a better season if we played more to my strengths 
things like that. There are enough red flags that just kind of indicate that the staff and the players aren't always on the same page. And perhaps that, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. And that's troubling. Obviously, that's very troubling. And um, when you add that to the fact that, you know, really these these kinds of issues aren't things that are new. These are things that from the very first game in Charlie Strong's tenure against uh, San Jose State, who was awful last year, um, USF fell behind 16-0. And those sort of things shouldn't happen. They've, you know, for two years, they've had awful, awful special teams blunders, blocked kicks, muffed punts, not stuff that you need talented players to achieve, you know, really basic stuff. Um They've been one of the most penalized teams in the country for two years now. They've run a pretty unimaginative offense, and that hasn't always used its um, players' talents in the best ways for two years now. And it's easy to mask those sorts of things when you have a lot of talent, as they did last year. When you have Quentin Flowers, you can really hide a lot of stuff on offense. And even for this year to be successful, I didn't necessarily think that the coaching staff had to be perfect. Um, if you recruit well enough, you can uh, mask a lot of flaws. And if you have the right players, you can really, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, you don't need a masterful scheme to win a national champion. Obviously, international championship isn't relevant here, but, you know, Gene Chizik won a national championship at Auburn. You know, you don't need to be uh, the uh, um, wizard of X's and O's to be successful. But, you know, you do need a certain level of competency there, and they haven't displayed it. And the fact that they haven't displayed it for, you know, one and two-thirds of the season now is definitely concerning. And it's uh, when you just kind of add that in one big pot and you see the fact that um, Texas has been paying most of Charlie Strong's salary for the last couple of years and – this next year, it's not going to be subsidized anymore. They're going to have to pay him a lot more. Um, and when you look at the remaining schedule, see that unless they really step up how they're playing, it's almost certainly going to be seven and five. You really have to stop and think, perhaps not, you know, are we going to keep Charlie strong? Because, you know, it only has been two seasons. And in the interest of fairness, you know, he will have had two winning seasons. But you do have to stop and think about what is Charlie Strong's future at USF look like? You know, what what does he need to change? What does he need to do differently? And at the very, very least, you would think that if this season progresses as it does, there need to be some big changes along the staff. There need to be a lot of things that are different. And again, you know, that's that's a pretty obvious point when you consider how this team's been playing. And just as recently as this week, Charlie Strong was asked about that. And he was asked, you know, are you going to make any changes along uh, among your staff after seeing how this team's been struggling? And his answer was, you know, two weeks ago we were 7-0. and And it's just that tone-deaf quality to a lot of his responses and, you know, the responses of a lot of his players, which, you know, are seem to be <laughs> – kind of at odds with what he's saying that is just is really troubling. And there are obviously, um, you know, that's not a sign that uh, you need to throw up the white flag on the season or on the Charlie Strong tenure, because, I mean, Willie Taggart was probably one game away at USF from being fired in his third season. Uh, and he managed to push the right buttons and put the uh, right players in the right scheme and was able to bounce back from that. And, you know, things looked a lot worse for Willie Taggart than they did for Charlie Strong. So by no means is it not salvageable. There are a lot of good players on this team. There are a lot of coaches with a lot of history of success. There, there are enough pieces to make this work. As of right now, though, it is unequivocally not working. And the stuff that you're hearing from the coaches, stuff that you're hearing from the players, is not stuff that gives you a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to come back out against Cincinnati and put it all together. Chad, do you have anything to, to add? Um, the only thing I'm curious about is what is the, uh, the thought process down there or the, the reaction down there to seeing Cincinnati all of a sudden pop back into relevance at, you know, eight and one after a couple four and eight seasons and, and, 
going from as they left the Big East, kind of the 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 big dog, to being irrelevant to now all of a sudden it looks like they're a team you have to mess with again. I'm actually really happy you asked this because David can uh, attest that probably for the last three seasons, I have always picked Cincinnati one or two in the East Division. I have been on the Cincinnati wagon for so long. <laughs> I have, it's I have go, been it's going to moment. pay off sooner or later for you, I think. <laughs> yeah, and finally, finally this season, I was finally rewarded. I was actually very happy to see Cincinnati uh, back among the uh, – you know, top teams in the American. I think that Cincinnati is not only a team that, uh, you know, USF has a lot of history with. Uh, it's also a team that um, has a lot of history of success. And for the American to be as good as it uh, can be, uh, you need a good Cincinnati. I mean, I would say that very few teams in the American have a higher ceiling than Cincinnati, if any. Um, you know, you probably group houston the florida schools somewhere in that bunch but really for you know for the conference to be great uh cincinnati has to be great and obviously the pieces are in place for cincinnati to be great so not only am i selfishly happy that cincinnati is uh back to national relevance because i've been pushing for this for uh quite some time now but i'm also i'm also happy for the conference because um you know when when cincinnati's good uh everyone looks a little bit better. So um, I'm happy to see that that program's in the, you know, moving in the right direction. And uh, they, they look like they will be a force in the East uh, for some time to come. And along with uh, UCF, of course, uh, Temple's pointed in the right direction. Um, USF, you'd imagine whether uh, <laughs> this year or the next, they'll get that uh, wagon faced the right way again soon. Uh, you've got a really strong division there and got really strong teams. And uh, for as much as we uh, still yearn for the days of the Big East, it's good to see good football being played in the American. Absolutely. And UConn stinks. Absolutely. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. That's Ryan Smith from SB Nation, the Daily Stampede. Great stuff on the Bulls and uh, what we should expect to see on Saturday night in a chilly Nippert Stadium. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, Dave, that was uh, that was very, very good stuff on South Florida. Um, we, we've got a lot to talk about and uh, not a not a, a ton of time now uh, as that segment was uh, was was rather long. Um, however, you still there, Dave? I'm here. Okay, cool. I was just making sure we were good. Um, there's something. Yep. There, there's something I got to get to before we before we do anything else. What's S- that? Something has to be done about the cut block in college football, right? Something has to be done yeah. about the cut block in college football. Look, go back and watch what. Navy did and what they did to Ed Oliver was illegal because he was engaged when they took him out at the knees what they yeah I mean that one I saw I saw was that that one was was real bad I mean there's there's no two ways about it what they did to Perry Young was equally as bad because that guy looped around that is not he did not hit him from the front he did not come head on at Perry Young he looped around and hit him from the side when Perry Young's eyes were in the backfield uh, that if they're if they're and we know the answer to this and I'm just ranting because it, it pisses me off but you can't have guys diving at other guys knees when his head is somewhere else like that that's the design of what they want to do they did it to Cortez Broughton they did it to Brian Wright both of those guys left the field limping at one point in time they just got lucky their knee didn't get blown out, and Perry Young just happened to get the cleanest hit of them all in a guy diving shoulder pad to knee at the side of his knee, and his knee stood absolutely no chance. His knee was destroyed. Like well, that, 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 I mean, you, that can't be legal. That can't happen. You can't allow that. That's the part where, where I agree is in that if you're a defensive player, and the quarterback is looking down the field, 
you know, not looking down at you. He's looking down the field for a receiver. And the def- the safety blitzes in and just dives into their knees. It's a penalty. Right. So why is it different for, you know, a split back to, you know, basically come around the corner and see a guy that's not, you know, that's looking in the backfield, looking at the ball or the quarterback or whoever his key is, and then you just dive into their knees. It's just, to me, that's the same thing. Right, exactly. So that's, I mean, that's where I don't like it in the fact that it's, it's just not legislated the same way. Well, here's the thing, Dave. That with, guy could have squared up and hit Perry Young in the shoulder pads, right? Right. I mean, yeah, he was a lead blocker. So he, you know, in, in the system, you know, in their system, you know, they put a guy in motion and maybe he doesn't get the ball, but he's running out in front as almost the lead blocker. And so in their system, the lead blocker dives at the knees versus in every other system, or I shouldn't say every other, but 99% of other systems, they, you know, go whatever you want to say, face up, chest up in, into the player. It infuriates me because that is senseless. There, there was no need for Perry Young to be lost for the season on that play. That wasn't somebody got rolled up on or, or you know, any natural way that an ACL injury happens in a football game. They happen all the time. Like, it happens. Like, it's, it's part of football. It's part of basketball. It's part of baseball. There's ACL tears. It's part of soccer. It's part of hockey. There's ACL tears. But what, what shouldn't happen is what happened. That should not be legislated into the game as okay. That that should not be play on. No penalty, no no harm, no foul. Oh, well, you should have had your head on a swivel. No, my I'm watching the quarterback to see if he's going to pitch, and my responsibility is this, 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 and this. My responsibility is not to worry about whether a guy is circling around on the outside of me and diving at my knees. If he squares you up and blocks you, then you, then you got blocked. Like, when I think back to the right. baby game last year, there was a lot of dudes that just got squared up and blocked. And I didn't have a problem with what happened right. last year. Like, they, they cleanly blocked Cincinnati and kicked their ass. This was not cleanly well, blocking think... Cincinnati and kicking their ass. This, this was taking out their leading tackler basically on purpose. The part that, you know, that, that does bother me is you shouldn't have to play defense like – looking for or worrying about blocks or plays that could injure you. Like when, when you see lines up offensively and they run the ball, you might, the defender might get injured, but part of the defensive scheme isn't okay. Read the a gap. Okay. Watch the quarterback. Okay. Now I got to watch for someone coming from the backside and cutting me at my knees. Right. On the second that's, level. To me, that's not that's not part of what football or sport or whatever should be about. You shouldn't walk onto the field or the court thinking, you know, I have to read my keys, do my responsibility, but then also be cognizant of players, you know, chop blocking, cut blocking, roll blocking, you know, whatever whatever it is that they do now to skirt the rules because some of them – have been worked on, thankfully. Like, you're supposed to now only be able to chop block directly from the front. You shouldn't even be able to do it from the side anymore. Um, but they still, you know, I find it hard to believe that it, that these teams, whether it's Army, Air Force, Navy, run the ball that much, employ a blocking system of that type, and never get called for a chop, an illegal chop block, cut block. You know, things there wasn't that one nature. in the they entire the game. 50, right. They ran the ball 52 times, and somehow all of those blocks were legal. Except I have one on tape that I put on Twitter today that was illegal because he swooped around and hit him from the side when Perry Young wasn't looking at him. That's what I'm saying. Is, is they, they say that they're cleaning the game up and that they're making these blocks you know, more to the defense's advantage to where they are supposed to be able to see 
the play happening, but yet you ran the ball 52 times, and I find it hard to believe that all those blocks, even not, I mean, the one on Perry notwithstanding. I mean, I'm not even considering that because right. we, we are in agreement there. But it's like, you know, they ran the ball that much. If you see ran the ball that much, I bet they'd have one or two holding calls. Right. But but not, you know, but that's just the, you know. And it's unfortunate when no matter what happens. I mean, you know, no matter who it's to or, or the situation, I just, I don't like it. And, you know, I know it's it's part of the, I guess, part of the leniency that they get the service academies get because of the other, you know, the requirements that the universities have that then disqualify them from, from certain other types of players. I mean, the, there's not going to be any Lorenz Metzes running around then don't, Navy or then Air don't Force compete anytime at the, soon. Then don't compete at the Division One level. Well, no, then that's, that's for like, a, you're right, that's for a totally different, you know, discussion. But yes, I mean, I, I don't disagree. Well, I, I, I don't. I don't even want to get into it. We don't have a ton of time left in this podcast. I don't. I don't. I want it. <laughs> it, it. 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 It gets me heated because that should not be legal. There should be no way that what happened to Perry Young should be legal. And I did see him walking around today. Well, hobbling around today on crutches. He was in the facility after his surgery yesterday. He was he, smiles. He was in a good mood. He was in good spirits. It, it was. It was a bad tear. ACL and MCL. The thing for me is, though, it's Luke's going to call the conference just like whoever they played last week's going to call the conference. And whoever plays Navy every year, every game, I guarantee their coach or AD or whoever calls the, calls the conference about them, about Army, about Air Force. It doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change. Because they're not, they're not going to tell. It has to. It's, it's not. They're not going to tell a service academy that they can't compete that way anymore. Block above the freaking list like you're supposed to block. Diving at knees is out. You want to be the military? You want to be the <laughs> service academy? Then don't go freaking hurting the, the the other team's best player and sending him out because you know he's a detriment to a defense that's kicking your ass. Well, you've only run for 124 yards in an entire game. I haven't gone on a rant on a podcast in a long time. Feels good. Feels good. But I don't want that. I don't want that to take away from what was a complete butt whipping of Navy, a complete, absolute, total dominance of Navy. And and we need to give that credit because from the opening drive where they held them to three and out, went down and scored a touchdown. They completely dominated that game from start to finish. That was as well as Cincinnati has played a football game in what? Five years? Six years? Seven years? Uh, it's, yeah. It's, well, it's certainly the the cleanest, you know, game they've played in two and a half years. Three and a half years? Three and a half years. So, you know, I would probably put that one up against uh, of recent games, probably the the game at Purdue and the yeah. home game against Purdue are probably the only two that would would parallel uh, as well as they played in all all facets of the game last week. It was dominating. It was it was impressive to watch. That was surgical execution. Uh, to to and the stat I my favorite stat I've pointed this out multiple times. I'll point it out anybody anytime anybody asks me about this game. The defensive line accounted for 28 of 56 stops. They accounted for half of the stops in the football game. For a defensive line to do that against the triple option is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Just complete domination at the line of scrimmage. That was not 28 fullback dives. That was everything Navy tried to do. The Cincinnati offense absolute or the Cincinnati defense absolutely destroyed them at the line of scrimmage. Oh, for sure. And it was, it was, I think from my standpoint, it was nice to see just because, you know, we had played two games, one win, one loss where, you know, you probably felt crappy that you lost one of them and fortunate you won the other because you didn't, you didn't really play very well 
especially on offense with a lot of, of errors. So it was nice to see, you know, kind of that bounce back game in a sense of, you know, not a very good opponent, but a tricky opponent to where, you know, they're still capable based off of what they do. So it was nice to see them move, move in that direction going into these last uh, three games. Well, it was, it was exactly what we talked about uh, last week on the podcast. You can't allow them to take advantage of your mistakes. You have to limit your mistakes because that's what they're looking to do, especially in a year where they're not nearly as talented as they have been. They're looking to take advantage of your mistakes, turnovers, penalties, you know, poor special teams, whatever it is, you do it poorly, they take advantage, and they hang around in the game. There wasn't any mistakes. You know what else would be a mistake? Dave, you know what else would be a mistake? Not getting your Trace Puntas coffee. Not getting your Trace Puntas coffee. They sell freshly roasted gourmet coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans we ship to you has the roast date clearly printed on it so you know your coffee is fresh. Their brand is named after the Trace Puntas Mountain Range. Three Peaks Mountains is what that translates to. They're famous for growing some of the best coffee beans in the world. The Race Family Coffee Farm sits underneath the peaks of the Trace Pountas Mountains. For over 100 years and three generations, the Race Family has been growing some of the best premium gourmet coffee in Brazil. Until the deal with Trace Pountas, the Race Family had only sold their premium coffee beans to local roasters in Brazil. This is the first time they have ever exported their well-regarded coffee to the United States. Now you, too can enjoy a premium cup of Brazilian coffee roasted fresh daily and shipped directly to your home. You can find out about Trace Pountas Coffee in two easy ways. Actually, in just one easy way. This is the way we want you to do it. You can get it on Amazon, but this is how you want to do it. You want to go to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you and shipped out immediately. 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roast. You can also get K-Cups. And what you want to do, you go to the website. You sign up for a coffee subscription. You get freshly roasted beans sent to you every one, two, or four weeks. When you sign up for a coffee subscription, you go to checkout. You enter Bearcats at checkout. When you're buying a coffee subscription, you get 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription with this code. Reminder, at checkout, enter Bearcats www.tresponta.s.com slash coffee. Get yours today. You like that segue? Yes, it's excellent. I uh, I kind of forgot last week. I had to go back and splice back in the. Uh, <laughs> that uh, that's why one of the, that's why the five one three shirts. I don't know why I sounded like I was on helium, but for some reason I sounded like I was on helium on the five one three shirts.com read. And it was because I had to do everything in post because I forgot to do the reads, and I'm not very smart. But today, nailed it. Nailed it. That's all right. This, this isn't like some high-production high, high production type thing we got going on here. So. No, no, it's not. Um, not a lot to hold else, else to say about Navy. I mean, I think everything has pretty much been touched on. Um, Mike Warren was really good. Desmond Ritter was really good. Josiah DeGuara, we've been talking about the potential for him uh, and what he does catching the football. He has become pretty much a star in this offense. Uh, He's Desmond Ritter's security blanket, um, and he makes plays, and he makes big – he tends to make big plays. Like, he doesn't just make plays. And we're also getting now the the emergence, I think, of Rashad Medeiros as that other guy. And we saw something that – this hasn't been talked about. Uh, I think Kerry did mention it. Hasn't been talked about much. Thomas Geddes didn't play. Rashad Medeiros was on the outside. Had a pretty good day on the outside. Maybe that's yeah. Rashad Medeiros on the outside, Jay Sean Jackson on the inside. As, we, as we're looking towards the future, I think it was really good to see Medeiros on the outside and, and playing as well as he did. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's been our question, you know, from the offense all year is, you know, who's going to emerge as that second second option um, next to Cleo Lewis. So anytime, you know, we can see someone stretch the field, you know, it's, it's good in my opinion. So 
I don't really, I'm not really worried about who it is. I just, we just needed someone to step up and do that. And that was a sick throw by Desmond Ritter. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was that was his best that's, throw that's all there. year. Up there, yeah, and and best all year. The other, the other one I would say was Khalil Lewis, where he he, he thread the, threaded the needle for a touchdown against uh, Tulane. Yeah, but that was because it was down the field. Because of the that kind of was the nail in the coffin for Navy um, to to go up thirty five to nothing and not give them when they're if they're down thirty five nothing in the third quarter they're they're done. There's nothing you can do to shoot yourself in the foot that's going to give them enough time. To, no, to win no. that game. Um, this weekend, are, are, are we doing? Are we? Are we doing something warm at the tailgate? Ah, uh, yeah, I sure hope so. It's going to be thirty something degrees. It better be something warm at the tailgate. I mean, it, like spicy. It, not, it has to. It, it's a spicy food. You got to do a spicy food theme for cold weather, right? I, uh, do do I we not have so. a theme? I don't. Uh, we don't have a theme yet. So oh my I'm, gosh. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be something good as usual. It, oh, it's does, always good. It does, it doesn't sound like things are going very well for the Bulls right now. No, so uh, this this could be one of those where if UC is able to get off to a nice start, it doesn't even have to be something ten nothing outrageous. Nothing. But I mean. You know, just play well at the beginning of the game, get a couple stops, get a couple, maybe get a score. Yeah, this might be a we've had enough type game. I hope so. What do you got for a prediction? I'm going to go uh, 41-21. Well, the, the, the line is at 10.5? It opened at 14 where I see it. And it's still hovering right around there somewhere. That probably was a little, a little off to begin with. But I mean, the Navy one pretty much stuck around, went down, but then went back up. So it, it pretty much hung in that, in that low teens as well. So Here's, I mean, I think, God, you know, fans, fans that aren't tuned in, see USF seven and two. 14-point underdogs, you're like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. But you look, as Ryan said, you look deeper. I mean, they've got, they gave up 42 to UMass. They had to come back at the very end to be a 4-5 and five Illinois team. They scored 15 points in the last eight minutes at Tulsa to win that game by one. Tulsa's 2-7. and seven. Like you said, East Carolina at home, 120-13. to 13. 38-30 at home to UConn. So there's clearly something was going on. And I While will say. While they were still g- grabbing these wins, they're, <laughs> they're not, you know. I, I will not say. That, not the, not been playing that well. Right. And, I, and the Cincinnati defense, I think for a long time we were skeptical because of. Well, it's, it's, it's what it is. I mean. They're really And that's the other good. thing, too, is. Really they haven't good. played a defense anywhere near what they're going to see Saturday. Now it's without Perry Young. Jarrell White will be filling in. Um, I, I think it does do them some good that they've played a game. Uh, if you go back to the Ohio game with Perry out with the turf toe. Um, I, I think UC wins big. I'm kind of with you. I, I'm, I'll, I'll go 42 to 17. I think this is a big win for the Bearcats. I, I everything point and and maybe this is one of those you know snake in the grass type deals where South Florida jumps up and gets you because they've been playing like crap for a couple of weeks. Um, maybe we're surprised, but I think if Cincinnati plays clean football in the cold in a situation where it's the first really cold actually cold game of the year that south florida is dealing with with the turmoil that they've got going on again as long as cincinnati gets up 10-3 something along those lines i think they mail it in and cincinnati rolls uh, that's just right that's kind of where i'm at with this one over under on simone beers 
You're going to have to stay I mean, warm. It's going to be cold. So, is, yeah, is, is well, this like is this a like... potential like you switch to bourbon or no? Or are you no, strictly I'm a beer guy. Strict, I'm a strictly, yep. Strictly so, a tailgate. Uh, you know, it might be a little bit lower number. You know, maybe something around like six or something. I don't know. I had a lot of jello shots last week. You did. So that might be the uh, <laughs> the substitute. Less beer, more jello shots. Well, then you just drink vodka. That's what's in the jello shots, right? Do you prefer mm, your vodka yeah. in jello form? Yes, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a solid, solid vodka drinker. <laughs> I've never, I've never, and I, your family's phenomenal. I love your family. I, I've never seen a family more in love with Jello shots than yours. You oh, have, you have a holiday tradition centered around Jello shots. We do. We, we, we could get into this later. We would love for as many people to come out. We do a walk every Thanksgiving morning to donate money to the Free Store Food Bank, where when you do a lap, you do a Jello shot. And I think last year we. Had between three hundred and five hundred Jello shots, and they all were were consumed. Uh, probably, yeah. And then we go <laughs> have our Thanksgiving dinner and everything. So, <laughs> I love your family. Your family's the best. They 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 love they love Jello shots like a fat kid loves cake. <laughs> yep. I don't know what that says about us, but I mean, it's it's. I'm it's, glad it's. I'm glad it's the way that it is. It's smart drinking. Like, there's not a lot of calories involved, right? No. It tastes delicious. Quick, you know. It tastes mm-hmm. like it tastes like Jello. It's delicious. It goes straight down. It gets the job done. Oh, uh, will you do ten Jello shots Saturday? Oh, easy, easy. That's that's, that's easy. So we're gonna. Go I probably six. did fifteen last week. <laughs> so six beers and fifteen Jello shots is what Simone's looking at for this weekend. Might might be. Do you go? Do you go warmers? Hey, Bearcats, Bearcats keep keep playing well. It just fuels the fire. Do you go warmers like foot like toe warmers, or are you a bundle uh, guy? Not not usually. I can. I, I'm more I'm more of a cold guy than than a hot guy, so I can usually withstand it pretty well. I've got got a lot of gear from days of going to UC games and Bengals games and working golf tournaments in the rain. So I got the rain gear that keeps the wind out. I got the sweatshirts, the jackets, everything. I'm, I'm covered. All right. Uh, you got a prediction for tomorrow night. I went 62-61 Bearcats as an ode to history over Ohio State. Uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to go... I'm going to go 67-61. All right. Fair enough. enough. I will see you there. It will be delightful. Bearcats, Buckeyes, the first time in Cincinnati in 98 years. And uh, make sure you guys sign up for our flash sale. Flash sale already. Buy one month. Four months. Yeah, four months for the price of one. So you're getting the end of the football season and whatever bowl game they go to. You're getting both recruiting signing days, and we got some. Got a 2020 commit last night, first one of the year. Shane's got an article up with some very good local visitors that will be at the basketball game tomorrow, so make sure you check that out. So you get both recruiting periods in December and in February, and you get pretty much all of The regular season, season, except for like four days. At least the, at least the regular season. Yeah. And we don't know the schedule yet, but you might get – Spring football practice too. At least the start. I, I, I'm thinking at least depending right around the start, on yeah. where it goes in March versus April, depending on spring break and when they want to do it and everything. But you're going to get some level of probably spring football practice as well. So I mean, tons of this is. I mean, this is really the time to, to get it. I mean, because you're going to get football and basketball for a good portion of the deal. And Cruton, Cruton. You gotta get always, it's always Cretan season. You got to get Cretan. So you're right. For 13 bucks, for all you get for this deal, like this is the time to do it. So go do it. If you're listening to this podcast for free, you should feel guilty that you're not a subscriber, and you should go subscribe right now. www.bearcatjournal.com. Click on join. Click on $12.99 promotion. You get four months for the price of one, and you get all of this chaos. 
We are. I'm gonna be honest. We're dominating coverage right now. The past oh, three well, days, four days have been insanity on Bearcat Journal. And there's a big recruiting visit that started today. There's a big recruiting visit that starts, I think, tomorrow for basketball. There might be some official visits this weekend for football. We'll have all the visitors for the uh, USF game. There should clearly on senior day and be another large group of visitors. There will be official visit weekends coming up leading up to the first signing day. You are going to get a ton of value for your 13 bucks. So do that. Now, go. And Dave, good talking to you. And Same to you. Good good 40-minute segment with Ryan Smith. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he covered the Bulls like <laughs> no one's ever covered the Bulls. <laughs> Shouldn't – this is – I'm making this podcast way too long. Shouldn't there be a USF site called Bulls on Parade? Is there one? I, I don't think there is, but, um, I mean, it would make all the sense in the world. I'm a big Rage Against the Machine guy. You could open the podcast. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, it'd be great. Well, didn't that didn't that one guy like? Doesn't he have a site? The guy that used to work at UC that played that while they were kicking the crap out of us a couple of years ago at home. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he pro- he probably has a has the <laughs> has bought the rights to that maybe or something. <laughs> He's just waiting for his time. Bulls on parade. If I ran a USF site, that's what it would be. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Maybe we'll. I, I, I'm working on a guest for basketball next week. Um, that uh, made his debut broadcasting the Bearcats in the exhibition game. So if you watch the exhibition stream, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, I'm working on getting him as a uh, as a guest next week, and then uh, if that happens, we'll probably do two again. We might be doing two podcasts the next three weeks uh, just yep. as we get – football deserves an hour. Basketball is going to deserve an hour. Uh, so, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever it is, we're probably going to be doing two a week for the next couple weeks. Thank you for listening. Thank you for giving us your time. Uh, if you didn't turn this podcast off 15 minutes ago, thank you. And uh, go join. Buy one month, get three free. One month for the – one, one, one cost for the price of four months. And uh, you can you can get all that stuff we mentioned at Bearcat Journal. Dave Simone, thank you very much, sir. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.